Welcome to Power of the Cross Radio Sermons with Pastor Farrell Wilson. Brother Wilson is the pastor of the Lighthouse Church in Grenada, Mississippi. The sermon you are about to hear can also be downloaded at grenadachurch.com. We know you are going to be blessed. Now, on to the message. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. And for a few moments, Lord, as I stand behind your sacred desk today, let me hide behind the cross, Lord, and shield me from all attacks of the enemy, any fear or doubt that might come to my mind or the people's mind in your church today. And God, that we would, in in one accord, Lord, all one mind, that we would hear your word today, Lord, and let it take root in our heart to bear fruit in the days ahead. And I know we'll be careful to give you honor and praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name. We say amen. One nation. I want to minister to you about one nation. Our nation is in trouble. There's nothing I can tell you to change that. As you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't guarantee that times are going to get better. In fact, it's very contrary to that. If we say we hold the Word of God dear to our heart and we believe what's in those pages, the Bible says times will wax worse and worse as we get closer to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I've seen probably one of the biggest prophecies in the Bible coming to pass this, this past week. The uh, leaders of Russia, Putin, and the leaders of Iran and the leaders of Turkey stood together to form an alliance. And all you had to do is go pick up your Bible and read Ezekiel and you'll understand what I'm talking about, what is about to take place. That is the union that will come against Israel in the last days. They, they held hands on stage and we're, we're forming an alliance together. It's amazing times. It don't, it don't trouble me in the fact that I know these have to come to pass and I, I'm concerned about them, but I have no worry about it because I know God's in control ultimately. And we look at our nation, again, it's in trouble. It's divided and it's fallen deep into sin across our land. It seems very little uh, or few people are concerned. And so we have to ask the question, are we still one nation under God? We still hold that... Um, I don't know if it's the right word, but all the matter, that, that slogan, that, that is who we are, one nation under God. We still hear it, but are we truly one nation under God still? This is not the first time that we have been deeply divided. One of the most infamous times of division was the Civil War. We were fighting among ourselves. It was one of the bloodiest wars ever fought on this globe. Over one million people died on battlefields in the United States. I believe it's from 1861 to 1865. One million lives were lost in that war because of our division. Did you know that though, during those times that major revivals had broke out in the armies on both sides? In the Union Army, over 200,000 Men were converted to Jesus Christ. It is said in the Confederate forces that over 150,000 men accepted Christ as Savior. Sometimes preaching and praying would go 24 hours a day. The chapels were full. They couldn't take all of the men wanting to go to the services. So therefore, they had to run services 24 hours a day. 
And there was even one revival remembered and uh, wrote down in history, a revival that broke out with Robert E. Lee forces. And in the fall of 1863, in the winter of 1864, some 7,000 soldiers were saved during that revival. So this is not the first time that our nation has been divided in sin. Sin has always been in our country. In fact, I believe it's Ecclesiastes says that there's no new sin under the sun. So the, the vices of sin has always been with mankind. I'm not telling you we've entered a new era that sin is uh, just now coming about. We've always had sin. Y'all may remember the word prohibition. You may have heard it in history classes and our nation at one time, drunkenness was so bad in our nation. That's how prohibition come about. Uh, the people just stayed drunk 24-7. The nation was faltering. And they put a law up for the people to vote across the United States. And they voted for alcohol to be outlawed. So yes, even despite what we're seeing in our nation right now, we are still one nation under God. But... We have a lot of preaching and praying to do. We need a great awakening. Us as Christians, we, we always, I think every one of us are guilty of this, we put the cart before the horse. We like to do the last part of the verse and before the beginning of the verse. We, the things God tells us to do, the last part of it, that's what we want, but we fail to look at the instructions from the beginning. You know, there has to be an awakening first before we can have a revival. There has to be. There's been great awakenings in this nation throughout our history. There's four that I know of with many revivals. And uh, there was one revival in the foothills of Kentucky. It was a little small church like this. And they just began to pray and fast. And they were expecting maybe 500 people. 20,000 people showed up over, uh, every day over the period of several weeks. God has always had times of revival, but there has to be an awakening. What is an awakening? Awakening is understanding that we're engaged in sin and we're wrong and God is right. And that we are guilty of breaking His laws and His word. And that's what an awakening is. It, ha it starts with individuals and then uh, and it expands out and revival begins. That's how revivals come about. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 will explain better than I can about uh, what an awakening and then God coming in and bringing revival. If my people, and you're His people, called by His name, you're called by His name when you know Christ is your Savior. Amen? If my people, which are called by my name, pray and seek His face and turn from their wicked ways, there's the instructions, pray, seek His face, repent of the sin, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I heal the land. Then will I bring revival. Then will I set things straight. But if we're engaged in sin and there's no awakening, and it, you get what you have right now in our nation. What you're seeing right now in our nation, it, so many socialist and godless people have come into our, our country saying this great nation never was a Christian nation. You'll hear that. That our Constitution and Declaration of Independence were not drafted and formed on the Bible. You'll hear that. You hear it all the time. You hear it in our schools. You, you hear it on the news. And people are trying to tell us this. And it's hogwash. 
It is a lie from the pits of hell is what it is. This one nation under God was formed and founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you need facts, instead of me just saying it, you don't have to look very far. The Declaration of Independence, instead of taking somebody's word for it, read it. You'll find God's name mentioned more in the Declaration of Independence than the Ten Commandments. If you look at the uh, Washington's inaugural address, George Washington, our first president, his inaugural address, and you read the Federalist Papers, so many liberals love to go to, and they love to point things out in there. If you read the Federalist Papers, it has more references to God than Jesus had during his Sermon on the Mount. So to say that we're not a Christian nation is a lie. Yet, there's no denying that Christianity has been unseated as America's moral center. What holds us together? And we have paid a terrible price for it. Despite this, though, a return to a Christian society is very possible. It's happened in history past many times. People it were, were like Israel of old. We'll fall and God will revive us and bring us back up. They'll fall. That, uh, that awakening to sin happens and God will bring revival and set the nation back on course again. In order for Christian to once again have, if you will, be the head of society, it requires a restoration of Christian values in the private and public sphere. What does that mean? That means in our homes. That means in our workplaces. And that means in our schools. God has to be brought to the forefront again. If that doesn't happen, you won't see revival. You won't see no awakening. All you'll see is the judgment of a thrice holy God. That's the only place we can go. Well, how do I change this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me explain a little bit. We've got to ask ourselves first, what happened to our great nation? If we were once this great nation, this one nation under God, with Christians in every home, what happened? A lot of things happened. But the root cause was the church falling away from the truth. That's where it started. The old saying is, so goes the church, so goes the nation. Somewhere along the way in our history, not very long ago, things started happening. In the 60s, we had drugs come about. And free love, do what you want to do. We were introduced to pot and LSD and amphetamines and cocaine and different things started to filter into our nation and look at the havoc it has wreaked across families and people and still continues today. It has gotten so bad in our society now, things like fentanyl, they say that you can just get it on your hand and it'll kill people. And we've got people now searching this drug out wanting to smoke it. Then in the 70s, it become a time where human life was no longer valuable. I can prove that because Roe versus Wade, I believe, was passed in 1975. If I'm wrong about that, y'all correct me, but I believe it was 1975. Roe versus Wade that said you can kill a human child. And then come along in the 80s. Now, I can remember this vividly because that's the time I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I have uh, memories from that time. In the 70s, we were dirt poor. 
I mean, Mama went out, got some beans, and cooked them, and made some cornbread, and that's what you ate for three or four days until it was gone. And if you didn't eat it, well, tough. That's what you got. There wasn't no going to McDonald's. I'd never heard of McDonald's for a while, and it finally come along. You ought to see their menu. Hamburger, cheeseburger, apple pie, Coke, and that was it. And you needed money to buy it. We didn't have any. So we ate beans, and we ate cornbread. But somewhere along in the 80s, people started prospering. Why? Because the gospel was delivered from this nation, and God had blessed this nation mightily. And we started having ways to travel. We started having money, abundance of food. And before long, the church joined in on this, that Laodicean attitude. We've got everything, and we no longer need God. We don't need Him anymore. We'll go do what we want to do. And we got football leagues and baseball leagues now supposed to be Christian people telling us to pray for them and everything else. You know where they're on Sunday and Wednesday nights? All year long, they're on the fields, not in God's house. Churches have fell right in this too. Let's just shut down Sunday night service. They're not coming anymore. Might as well join in with them. Wednesday night, I ain't got to go. I'll go do what I want to do. And before you know it, what will happen? Sunday morning comes, I'll watch Facebook, church, and it'll be okay. And the church is just about in shape. The church gave in to the desires of the flesh. Yes, it takes something to get up and go to church. Yes, it, Christianity will cost you something. Yes, God asks you to bring your tithes and offerings to His storehouse. Yes, God wants you to pray. Yes, God wants you to seek His face. Yes, God wants you to follow after His Word. Christianity will cost you something, but the rewards are so great. One thing I've been blessed with on this radio station is I've had the wonderful opportunity to hear ministers from years gone by. I've heard a lot of them. I probably more than, I'm not, it's not a brag or a boast. I'm just saying I have got to hear more sermons than the average preacher. I've listened to literally hundreds if not thousands of sermons. I have to. I can't just shove them on the radio. And say, well, maybe they'll do okay. It don't work that way. And I've made mistakes even putting stuff on there. Maybe missed little glitches along the way. But I've heard A.W. Tozer, Jimmy Swagger, Billy Graham, uh, David Wilkerson, the many greats from years ago that in the 50s they were preaching hot and heavy. I'm not being unkind, but most Christians today could not take their preaching. I promise you. They would get mad and leave, but they were warning the church. They were saying, stop it, stop what you're doing, and come back into the truth of God's Word. They didn't heed the warnings. But you know, you back up even thousands of years ago before that, Paul was warning the church. The verse that I read you this morning, Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast in the liberty that Christ has made you free. So don't think it's unusual what the church is doing. It happened back in Paul's time. I could just see him when he got home and he done founded the church at Galatia and he gets word back. I could just see him going, man, I just left there. Now, I just got through teaching him. Paul wasn't as nice as me. I could say some things out of the book of Galatians that would probably leave most of y'all with your mouth gaping wide open this morning if I said what Paul said. Anthony knows what I'm talking about. We had a little study on Galatians one morning back here in the 
back here, and I told you what Paul said to the church back then about people that were teaching about circumcision and what he would hope happened to them. It wasn't very nice. But yet, what did they do? They continued on their route, and here we are at the churches did the same thing in this day and age. So how does standing fast in Christ, what does that do for me? How does that make me free? Once again, thank you for listening to Power of the Cross Radio Sermons. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Now, we ask you to help us keep bringing great Pentecostal messages to the world. Join us in our effort to reach the lost by supporting this ministry with a generous offering. We cannot do this unless people just like you give to help cover the costs. On the homepage at www.cross.radio, click on how you can help. There you can give by credit card, debit card, or e-check. Let the Lord bless you and use you in your giving. Now, back to the message. It makes you free from the bondages of sin. The world looks at that and sneers and says, oh, that's just stupidity. The very thing they're laughing at can turn this nation around. The very thing that the most of the world laughs at us Pentecostals about, and they jeer and sneer, oh, y'all sing them old songs and them old hymns, and y'all preach old-timey stuff. That is the very thing that could upright this nation back to where it was. You want to know why we didn't have all these problems back then? Because there was a blood-bought church that preached and sang the truth. That's why. There's no secret to it. You're hearing lies from the media. You're hearing lies from people out in the world. That's what kept this nation strong because we had strong households. We had strong Christians. You're not standing fast in the liberty that Christ has given you. You're a very weak Christian. And when you're weak, your home is weak, your church is weak, the nation is weak. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Most Christians still do not understand what it will take to fix the United States. And it's possible. I know it's very possible. And I'm not so sure we're about, we're probably going to see a revival. That's what I'm praying for. God upright this nation. Why? Not for me to have good years here in this land, but so we can have the opportunity to preach in a good environment and we can see souls saved. Most, though, here's most Christians. Not thou, Saul. Here's most Christians. Give us a Saul. We want a Saul. Give us Trump. Give us DeSantis. That's what we want. And I have no doubt that those men's names that I just mentioned they have some very good ideas. In fact, one of them, uh, President Trump, with a proven record, showed that he could lead this nation into prosperity as far as the, the economy. He even come along later in his presidency. He did more. Most people don't know this. He did more for the church of taking away laws that were against it and setting forth things that helped the church. Most people don't know that. All you hear is about, about the bad orange man. It's all we hear. Why? Because that's the media. They don't want you to hear what's good. DeSantis, I think he could lead this nation probably better than any president we've ever had. I really feel that because I know he don't hem-haw around about it. He says it like it is. It goes on and he's got a proven track record. But my friends, 
You have to understand, despite their good ideas, do you think that they're going to go into office unopposed? Why? It's the principalities of power and darkness. The Bible told you. We act confused when we see these things. We see Democrats carrying on and doing things. Liberals, why are you doing it? Why are you arguing about human life? What would possess you to do that? My friends, the Bible tells us you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against powers and principalities. That is demon forces. That is the hierarchy of those of, of hell. You have Satan. You have all these people up under him. He's organized and he's doing a great job. So as we cry out, God, give us a saw, just read back what happened to Israel when they wanted their king. Nothing good's going to come of it. I'm not telling you we don't go vote. I'm not telling you I don't want the right people in there. I do. Some of those names I said, I vote for either one of them. But I just know if they go into office, and know what's going to happen. I know the powers of darkness are going to come against them full force. So how do we correct this then? If every Christian would stand fast in the liberty that Jesus had gave them, the power of God could begin to move again. And that would awaken the soul to the horrors of sin. And when that awakening starts happening, revival is sought after. Then people are on their knees saying, God, send revival to our land. A revival, listen to this. I want you to get this today. A revival is a church remembering, is a church repenting, and is a church repeating. Let me say it again. It's a church remembering. It is a church repenting and a church repeating. And if you want a Bible verse for that, Revelation 2 and 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. There's your Bible verse for it. Remember where you come from. Remember what's wrong. Why you're where you're at. Repent. And then go back to the very thing that saved you. So what is happening in our society now is a direct result of the church falling away from grace back into law. Paul's enemies even argued him. That verse that I read you, and he, he was in direct dispute with the people that had come into the church at Galatia and said, this Jesus thing is great, but we need to bring back circumcision. That's going to help you and this thing with Jesus. They were bringing law in the church. Paul was saying, you don't need that. You need grace in your life. Paul's enemies are saying that your doctrine of grace and liberty is just dangerous. And we're hearing the same things today. They're saying, why, why if Christians become free from the law, they'll live wicked lives. We need the law to control them. When the church gives you law, they have control over you. Don't go blaming the Democrats. Don't go blaming the liberals. Get to the footsteps of the door of the church. Then you'll find out why our nation is in a teetotal wreck. It's invading the Pentecostal ranks. What used to be great holiness movements have now turned into pits of vipers. We don't need Saul. We don't need laws. 
We don't need to keep rules and regulations from a church. Paul admonishes us to stand fast in the liberty that Christ has set you free. If we step back into legalism, we risk entanglement and bondage. Now, Christ cannot profit the sinner who rejects grace and trusts law. Christ has become no effect to you. See, they think that the power of God is residing in their life, and Paul says something very contrary to that. Paul said, when you do things like this, when you go back into law, when you're saying that that's how I honor God, that's how God is pleased with me, is when I don't wash dishes on Sunday or Saturday or whatever, I think it's Saturday, when I don't wash dishes on Saturday, that's how God is pleased with me. You have crucified Christ afresh. Here's what, let me put it in lamest terms. You're telling God what Christ has done at Calvary is not good enough to save your soul. It's not good enough for Him to operate. You've got to do something better than what Christ did at Calvary to please Him. When God said, all you have to do is trust in my Son and His finished work, and I'm pleased. Then, those things you need to be doing, those things you ought to be doing as a Christian, they start happening by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Christ cannot profit the saint who seeks to live by law instead of grace. People who put themselves under the law, you become a debtor to the whole law. You need to build a temple. You need to get sacrifices. You need to understand uh, 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 Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. You better have all that down to a T and understand every bit of it because if you fail at one point, that's it. Paul brought this out quite well. I'm summing it up for you, but Paul made this understood to the church, and that's what infuriated them. He's not telling everybody to go and live any kind of way they want. Matter of fact, when you come up under God's grace and mercy and the Holy Spirit is working in your life, He's going to hold you to much stricter standards because now the laws wrote up on your heart and not upon a tablet. So, this may not seem like a big deal for our nation as a whole, but as it progressed over the years and this kept getting worse and worse, churches were powerless. You're absolutely powerless when you resort to law. There's no power in that church. You may claim to be. They may have big crowds, but that, that doesn't mean God's residing there. All they've got now is programs and entertainment. I mean, they've got to have smoke machines now for people to fall out in the dark and claim it's Pentecost. Look, I've, some of the best services I've ever been to the lights were so bright in there, I could, it was hurting my eyes, it was so bright. And don't tell me it's about the music either. I watched in one service at a youth conference, they were singing Bill and Gloria Gaither's song, I Feel Like Something Good Is About to Happen. Youth conference, now kids. And when they began to sing that song, the lights were blazing white you could see the Holy Spirit just sweep over thousands of kids and the power of God hit them. We don't need to leave the old past. We need to get back into the old past. So people turn to the world and look what has happened. As a whole, most of the world in the churches, if that's what they look to is the world for their answers. 
people shoved God out of the courts. They stopped God in the schools. And now we have mass killings every week. A confused and depressed generation that doesn't even know which restroom to use. And I don't say that with joy. I don't say that with any laughter. But you actually have kids being raised eight, nine years old that don't know any better. And they're just listening to what they're told. They don't even know which restroom to go to anymore. They, they are now chemically castrating 10-year-old boys. You hear about this, oh, we're going to let them change over. What they're doing is chemically castrating these young people. Our great financial systems are crumbling and overloaded with $30 trillion of debt. Our congressional halls reek with corruption on both sides. Just as recent as 1983, do you know, 1983, we had both sides of the aisle come together, Democrats and Republicans, and they passed public law 97-280. What was public law 97-280? It was declared and acknowledged our great nation was founded on the gospel of Christ, and they declared 1983 is the year of the Bible. Now look what's happened in a short time. Now we have a divided house that cannot even agree on anything except more spending and new taxes. That's the only thing they can come to the table together on. So what needs to happen? We all need to awaken and come up out of our slumber. If we are to make it, if there is any hope for this nation, stand fast in the liberty that Jesus Christ has gave us. Christ has set us free. That means we're literally free. Now hold on to your freedom and don't ever become slaves to the law again. Well, how does one nation, what, what, what has one nation got to do with all this, Brother Wilson? One nation begins with each individual. You're part of one nation. You are, every person I'm looking at this morning, every person that's hearing me on that radio, you are a part of that one nation. You're in it. You're in this land. This is your home. When you're on the right path, you, your home is serving the Lord. I can't answer that question for you today. I don't know what goes on inside your four walls when you're by yourself. I have no idea. And that's your business. That's your private business. But you have to sit before the Lord and you have to say, Lord, am I on the right path or not? That's where everything begins in this nation. Is What path are you on? When homes are godly homes, they're patterned after God's ways. And then when a home is patterned after God's ways, guess what becomes strong? The church. Then you bring all that with you up into the church. So what are we bringing into the church nowadays? Are we in the world and, and, our, and our, we're just ridden, riddled with sin? Or is our homes really given over to God, serving God? And when homes are strong, when our life is strong, the church will be strong. When the church is strong, it will be a praying church, I promise you. You don't have to force this. A praying church, hear me, will see the fire of heaven fall. A praying church will see the fire of heaven fall. You don't have to wait on Congress. You don't have to wait on the House or Senate to pass some kind of law. You don't have to wait somebody new to get up in office. When the church is powerful in God's grace and the fire falling, 
that awakening happens and revival happens. When revival happens, God will heal our land. That song, I'll close with this. That song we sang earlier, Revive Us Again. What a wonderful song. There's an amazing story behind that. This is the story of that song, and the song was wrote by a Scottish medical doctor named W.P. McKay. And listen to his own words, what he said. My dear godly mother would often tell me of the Savior, and many times I witnessed her wrestling in prayer for my soul's conversion. But nothing ever impressed me. The older I grew, the more wicked I become. I was in danger of being eternally lost. One day, a seriously injured worker had fallen from a very great height while climbing a ladder. He was brought to me, and this, this case was hopeless. All we could do was ease his pains of the poor man. He seemed to realize his condition, for he was fully conscious, and he would ask me how long he had to live. And this patient was alone in the world, and his only wish was to see his landlady because he owed her a small sum of money and he wanted to say goodbye. And he said this to the doctor. He said, request to my landlady to send me the book. And he said, what book? Oh, just ask her about the book. She'll know what to do. While he was alive, Dr. McKay seen him every day. He would stop by and check on him. He said, what struck me the most was the quiet, almost happy expression was constantly on his face. I knew he was a Christian, but about such matters I had no interest in discussing with him. After he died, some of his fares had to be taken care of in my presence. And a nurse held up a little book and said, what shall we do with this? What kind of book is this, he asked. The Bible of the Poor Man. His landlady brought it to him on her second visit. When he was able to read it, he would. As he got weaker and couldn't read, he kept it under his bed cover. Listen to this. I took the Bible and could I trust my eyes? It was my own Bible. It was the Bible my mother had given me when I had left my parents' home, which I had later sold when I was short of money. My name was still in it, written by my mother's hand. Beneath my name was the verse she selected for me. It is sufficient to say the regained possession of my Bible was the cause of my conversion. It was this man who went on to write, Revive Us Again. And what a picture of our nation. What a picture of us in our home. We may be on the wrong path. We may be ignoring Jesus Christ. But God is sending the word out today still. He will revive us again. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. This brings us to the end of this sermon. Don't forget to help us in our effort to bring the message of the cross to the world. We need your prayers and financial gifts to make that happen. Also, be sure to check out our website schedule and prayer wall at www.cross.radio. Power of the Cross Radio streams great Christian music and sermons all day, every day. Again, thank you for joining us today and may God bless you and keep you. 
Power of the Cross Radio is a production of Cross Faith Ministries. Visit them on the web at www.cfministry.com.